The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered and my guest is Jake Warren. Jake was first on Blethered back in June 2020 and he told me all about making documentaries in North Korea, getting up close and personal with both ISIS executioners and the far-right English Defence League, more commonly known as the EDL. That conversation is worth going back and listening to, but it's not a prerequisite for enjoying this one. This time around, we talk about Jake's successful podcast company, Message Heard, and their new projects, including the phenomenal Finding Natasha, which documents the search for the woman who saved his mum's life when she took part in a cultural exchange with the Soviet Union 50 years ago, and it went wrong. We also reflect on the stratospheric success of Messy Church podcast Conflicted, hosted by Thomas Small and former blethered guest Eamon Dean. And we have a laugh about the weird people who want to get the green M&M pregnant. It'll make sense when you hear it. And as always, there's plenty more. This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly payments towards debt, then visit don'tforgetaboutdebt.net forward slash blethered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Forget About Debt senior debt advisor Tommy Gallagher where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't Forget About Debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. Mate, thank you. Now that you're suffering with COVID, I sound like I'm suffering with COVID, but it's just a cold. So thanks for coming and having the chat. Mate, I was bored out of my mind, so this is a perfect excuse to just do something. Yeah, how how well are you a few Not days Not that in? I wasn't honoured to be asked as well, <laughs> you know, it's an honour to be on Blemmon. I probably should have led with that. And I was going to say, although if people could see what I look like just now, they'd be saying, why are you sitting talking to this guy? I've got a cap on backwards. <laughs> the reason being, I'm growing my hair, I'm going for a haircut, it's in my face, I just need it out my face, and I don't have like a fucking hairband or something. I used to wear a hairband, see, years ago I had like pure long hair and like sitting at the beach or something I would wear this hairband and I just look like such a tool people people will be well, saying so you, no change there then <laughs> you look great mate over Zoom don't worry you're looking good um, so much to talk about let's do a wee recap right for the the people who maybe haven't listened to the first chat that we had but let's do a wee recap about Vice and you can just give me as if it's like a CV because people should go and listen to that first one because some of the stuff you did like work-wise was just incredible. If Say you've got two minutes in an elevator with somebody and you need to tell them the, the shit that you've done, how would you describe it? That's a good question. So I am lucky that I've done completely mental things in the name of a supposed career. <laughs> um, so I, if I want to make myself sound smart, I would say when I... Obviously, I'm, I run a podcast company now, but journalist and used to work a lot more in video, documentary, and written stuff. And 
to make myself smart, I would say extremities of human interest. Really, what that means is nutters. Nutters of every persuasion. It was a combination of me wanting to hang around with them or, you know, with a lot of, lot of the stuff at Vice, especially with American Vice. It was, let's send the white middle-class English kid with tortoiseshell glasses to hang around with ISIS or Hezbollah or, you know, North Korea or whatever, right? You know, mm. it was, you know, send the British nerd, basically. So uh, I spent a lot of time basically just traipsing around the world and, and Britain as well, just hanging around with nutters of every persuasion, which, to be honest with you, I love it. Mm. You know, miss that a little bit, obviously, for obvious reasons, not being able to travel around the world. But... um yeah, I mean, nutters seem to like me. I don't know if that's uh, what that says about me, but uh... when see so went like when you were into to chat with some of them, like say the the ISIS executioner, the one who was sitting eating the ice cream sundae at like half nine in the morning, did you ever <laughs> did you ever come away thinking he's actually all right? Because you know, like everybody and just general human interaction can seem mm. perf- perfectly reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's obviously there's the this sort of device to either represent someone as wholly good or wholly evil is not something that I subscribe to. Mm. And some of the most evil people that I've met have actually shown kindness towards me. Now, obviously that doesn't, you know, uh, justify or, you know, explain away any of the horrible things they've done. But if you take the ISIS executioner who, so it was Anjem Chowdhury, who obviously is now out of jail, Mm. who was their kind of leader who sort of, I think to kind of test me, um, ate an ice cream Sunday at 9.30 in the morning and I'm thinking, what a mentalist this bloke is. Excuse all the Islamism, but what a mentalist. You know, 9.30 <laughs> in the morning, have an ice cream Sunday with a you know glazed cherry on top. But uh, the other guy, a guy called Abba Ramesa, we shared a garlic naan bread together. Um, and, you know, he was kind to me in a certain sense, that mm. he was friendly, he was warm, he showed an interest he was interested in having dialogue and conversation. Now, does that excuse him or make him a nice person? No, but his line of sort of questioning to me wasn't, you know, right, Kafir, you know, I'm going to cut your head off. It was, come on, Jake, you know, don't be a Kafir, you know, you know, become a brother, you know, one of those kind of bizarre sort of, which meant that you could talk to him as a human being, even though he believed in, you know, completely (laughs) depraved and, and I would argue, you know, awful despicable things um it doesn't automatically mean that you can't function as a normal human being or show kindness or interest or just talk to someone on another Mm. level as a human being and so yeah look that's not a justification for them but it means that you can have uh allows you to if you can connect with someone on a human level no matter what they believe in it allows you to to really try and delve and understand why they believe in something rather than just oh you believe that Mm. it probably gives a wee, a wee bit of an insight into the the extremities of these people's psychopathic persuasions and tendencies that they can because they are so depraved and they find it so easy to both participate in and promote that like horrendous torture and violence mm. that they can also switch it and be really agreeable and it, it shows you probably how they do recruit vulnerable people you know they always go for people who like I've heard Eamon and we'll speak about conflicted but Eamon saying they'll go for the society's sort of forgotten men and, mm. and show them like here's a place for you and you know like we can be your, your sort of 
your brother, and that's probably how all of these lunatics work because, like, you watch, God, I've watched um, The Puppet Master on Netflix. Have you seen that? No, it's on my list of things oh, that I've been recommended. They're worth mate, it. Fucking meant like nuts, like really frustrating. I love shit like that as well. <laughs> like, like, the whole time, right? I'm sitting watching, going, like, with my fucking mouth full of Maltesers, like, what a fucking idiot. But it's like, <laughs> these, you're like, hold on a minute, like, they're obviously being broken down, shown kindness, being love bombed, whether as a friend or romantically, and sort of manipulated. And it's like, oh, yeah, you can you can actually see how these people do it. And it's like, you now they say when the devil, when the antichrist, like biblical, when the antichrist turns up, he's not going to be, you know, like red mm-hmm. horns and and a big long tail. He's going to be coming to somebody who's your friend and somebody who's who wants the best for you and somebody who's got something for you. And I was like, I there's there is this it's, comparison. It's, it's 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 a mixture, isn't it? It's it's that meeting in the middle of the people who are the leaders and instigators in in whatever extreme movement, whatever they believe is. They're often, you know, they're narcissists. They're personable. They're charming. Yeah. They're intelligent. They're manipulators, right? And then you combine that often with, you know the way Anjem actually, and I think maybe we even talked about this before is the way he described himself was a shepherd for the lost sheep. Mm. And so you've got these people who don't fit in, they're outsiders, you know, they have no sense of community or perhaps even a sense of purpose. And to suddenly have this, you know, enthusiasm and sort of uh, interest in their lives and have it channeled in a way, which like you said, you know, it, it sort of, gives them that 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 sense of community and purpose then it's a it's a, unfortunately a recipe for disaster mm. with um speaking about sort of islamic extremists i feel it's a perfect segue to ask about conflicted <laughs> um yeah i mean anybody who listens to this now know, will know what conflicted is because one i bang on about it enough and two i think everybody's now listened to the interview with with Eamon dean um how i mean God, so when we spoke, you had just started. Was that in 2020? We're now in 2022. You're in the top of the Apple, or you've been featured in the US Apple podcast yeah, segment, which is huge. Like, what's the growth been like? It's insane. I mean, it's, it's so we've taken a long time to do it for a whole set of reasons. And, you know, not just COVID, but so we've started the third season now. Um, and, uh, it still absolutely does my head in how zealous the fans are of Conflicted. Um, you know, because, look, I can't take any credit for that show other than, you know, I knew Eamon Dean and thought, oh, he should have a podcast. Mm. But it's just, it, 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 to me, I, I still like can't quite comprehend it. Like when we first made it, I was like, this is an interesting kind of niche thing that hopefully some people will like. And the audience now, like the audience is in the millions, right? We, you know, we're featured on the front page of Apple Podcasts US at the moment, which is like the holy grail, right? Mm. You know, I can't think of any other British shows that have got that, except maybe for things like, you know, My Dad Wrote a Porno, which is obviously massively successful. But for something which is effectively around the history, politics, culture, religion, conflict of the Middle East, uh, and for it to be, you know, an, an ex- Al-Qaeda jihadi turned British spy who's addicted to Diet Coke and Thomas, who is, you know, a ex-monk, openly gay San Franciscan 
you know, they're like the odd couple of jihadism. It's so bizarre, but it just works because it's relatable, it's accessible. And I think, you know, it's that for me, the, the, the most worthy thing about making that show, other than just kind of giving Thomas and Eamon a bit of sort of structure and steer around how to bring out, I mean, they're, their brains are just the size of Jupiter, right? But yeah. all we they really are the drivers behind that. It's just about constructing it in a way that allows them to to sort of talk about it in amazing terms. But it just does my head into the feedback we get that I, you know, I've learned so much and I was entertained and it felt personable and it was funny and there was pop culture reference. You know, it, what we're trying to do with that is it's important for people to understand the complexities of why the Middle East is like it is today. Mm not to expect you to have nine letters after your name and have a double doctorate from Cambridge to be able to even engage in that conversation, right? How can we convey it in a way which allows stupid people like myself to be able to learn from the Jupiter-sized brains of Thomas and Eamon? And I think we've managed somehow, probably through blind luck, we've managed to be able to do something that resonates with people. And to just see the growth of it around the world is incredible. Like it's... I would be lying to you if I said, well, yeah, I fucking knew that was going to happen. You know, <laughs> bollocks. It's happened. Don't know how it's happened, but, you know, we're, we're, the third season is coming out now. We've committed to doing 20 episodes, whereas before we had always done sort of six, eight, you know, a couple of bonus things. Mm-hmm. We're, we're sort of listening to people, right? We, they want loads of it. We're going to give you loads of it. And we're going to start introducing sort of ancillary benefits as well so we've now got you know for 99p a month right not a lot of money you can sign up and listen ad free and have some bonus content we're also going to do things like live events when it's possible to do this year and we're also thinking about doing stupid stuff like merchandise right you know does anyone want to drink out of a mug which says you know i'm still alive thomas or you know (laughs) hello dear listeners you know or like stupid hats or whatever i think like stuff like that's quite funny to play around with as well yeah i think you've you've hit the nail on the head to be honest it's like this perfect mix and concoction of of everything that you would hope for but I think that is the main thing it's the accessibility of such a complex and almost impossible to understand mosaic because you've the fact of what's going on in China can impact the Middle East and how the Wall Street crash Mm. impacts the Middle East and how the war on drugs which becomes the war on terror impacts the Middle East. And you're like, fuck, yeah. All of these things which are global talking points or have been throughout the last 40, 50, 60 years, you're like, they are all inextricably linked to each other. I I think for certain people, and you're probably one of them, Sean, it's like, if you could see how that show was made, you'd probably want to listen to how it's made because you'll be having a meeting about it. And Thomas would be like, well, if we go back to the Bronze Ages, we can see <laughs> an exact direct correlation between this happening. Yeah. It, I just sit there thinking, I'm the stupidest person in the world. Like, this is just incredible. I mean, it's it, it's amazing to, to, to witness it. Well, it's like, I'll, I sometimes feel as if that, I'm like, that can't be their knowledge. Like their brain must be plugged in via USB to something and they're able to then access it that way. Like there's no way people fucking know these things. And even there's times when Eamon is astounded with what Thomas knows, whether it's some Mm. ancient Arabic um, cultural reference or even like language wise. And you're like, fucking hell. But as you say, it's not, it's not so intelligent that it's abstract. It's very much two people just sitting having a conversation and they do, they simplify it for the dummies like, like you and I. But I, 
you're saying you you didn't know it was going to go that way, but I my mate Jamie introduced me to it during lockdown. How how annoying is this? Lockdown one, like you're able to specify them via number, yeah, like numerically. Years ago, then <laughs> I know. Yeah. I I think it was like eight years ago, maybe. That's what it feels like. <laughs> but um, I was going cycling and I listened to one and I listened to the first episode and I was like, "Fuck, this is amazing! Like this is this is incredible!" And everyone who listens to it, because people always come up to me and they're like, "That can." The best thing you've ever done for me is is introduce me to conflicted, um, and everybody that listens to it is hooked, and it's like it's a matter of time just before it hits that tipping point, which it it seems to have done now. Has there been has there been a lot of media attention from the quote unquote traditional mainstream media? Yes, I mean it, it's been featured in everywhere from like Uni Lads to the Financial Times, right? Which kind of has a broad spectrum that feels pretty good. <laughs> um, they did something the other day, which I enjoyed actually, which was classic Daily Mail. So they wrote up the first episode for season three and, and, and they literally just wrote the episode. I mean, it, it basically was like a transcript of the episode. It was like the longest yeah. article title I've ever seen. And then they just basically wrote the whole thing up, which is great, right? You know, it's the largest English speaking website in the world and it linked to the show. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking... That's some stellar journalism for you there. Oh, They've yeah. literally just written up our show. But look, if it drives people to the show, I'm not complaining. But, um, mm. you know, that doesn't happen if there isn't buy-in that this has mainstream appeal and interest, right? Mm-hmm. The Daily Mail Online does not do that unless they think that people want to click on it because that's how it operates. So Definitely. to just see that, it kind of, again, was another bit of a step change in my mind. It was just like, wow, this this show is is so much bigger and and than I ever dreamed it could be, which, you know, look, it, it's amazing, right? It, it's where, what's the ceiling? I don't know. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of what's the ceiling you've, um, you've managed to sort of break through that in terms of it just being conflicted, moving on to doing sort of other shows before I ask about finding Natasha. So you were doing sort of corporate podcasts, were you like for, for companies or, is that like one, well, one so, sort of segment of message held? Yeah. So we, we've we got, there's there's like four main things that I guess that we do. So we make podcasts as message heard, you know, so we're a UK based podcast company, although you know, we're four years in now growing enormously. We work all over the world, but so we, we've got an editorial side where we make programs ourselves as message heard that we take to market as message heard. So conflict is a good example of that. It's mm-hmm. a message heard show. Uh, we also make shows, you know, on a commission basis for, you know, the biggest platforms, the media, media platforms out there that you would recognize. So, you know, the likes of Spotify, Audible, the BBC, you know, Netflix, CNN, whatever. We either make for, make them for them or we're preferred suppliers to them and harass them to make stuff for them. We also make co-productions where this is where we partner with usually sort of smaller charities ngos or individuals that okay they haven't got the deepest pockets in the world but maybe but they have to be doing something that we think is editorially aligned to what we view as meaningful and purposeful in the world so a good example of that is the untold killing which obviously i know you you, you listen to where we worked with a small charity called remembering Srebrenica, mm-hmm. whose mo is to raise awareness on the last genocide in europe 30 years ago in bosnia how could we make a show that was editorially interesting to a general audience, but also smuggle in that educational piece so that people felt like they were learning? 
So we, we do a lot of that as well. And then we do lots of branded shows as well, which a lot of people treat as like the poorer cousin of editorial, but like we make all the shows for, you know, like Hayes recruitment or buffer or, you know, GDST schools, or, you know, like it's as list as long as your arm, right? Podcasting's booming. We work for everyone and everyone, but we don't just make shit for them and good stuff for us. It's always mm-hmm. about how can we editorialize it and make it as interesting and good as possible. And then since I probably said, I don't think this was, this has happened since last time we spoke to you last year, we became the first podcast company to be signed by Curtis Brown, huge literary and talent agency, mm-hmm. which gives us like first dibs to work with their talent. And then the new exciting bit for podcasting is, you know, if you make a successful show, you're now going to be able to exploit that IP into TV, books, film, because it's the case has already been proven for it, right? So you're seeing all of these successful podcasts now being turned into series and films and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I mean, like Tiger King, right? Tiger King was a podcast before it was a hit Netflix series. Not was it? Know Fuck, that. I don't know that. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Um, and I actually think the podcast was better. But, um, and I'm, I am biased when I say that. But um, so that, that's the new journey, right? So like our, a lot of our shows, which are now becoming successful, they're now going on that journey to being turned into TV, film and books, which is to me is just, again, like... It's amazing, but kind of head explosion, right? Mental. It's um, remembering Srebrenica. Well, Untold Killing is one I would I would definitely get people to. I would encourage people to listen to. And then I interviewed Robert McNeil, so mm-hmm. I would encourage people to go and listen to that interview purely for the the shock factor. Or and the I think it's necessary that people are educated because I had no clue. I didn't know until I sort of delved into Untold Killing and then spoke to Robert. So in a nutshell, if you're going to listen to it, Robert McNeil was a guy from Glasgow. He worked in a morgue at the the Western Infirmary, which is no longer there. It's been knocked down. And he eventually went to Bosnia to a place called Srebrenica, the place where a, a massacre took place at the hands of the Serbian forces. And it was it's genocide. They basically killed, killed 6,000 Bosnians, maybe men and boys. Um, and it was he was there to basically uncover evidence of this for the UN, and it's horrific. It was harrowing. And another, I was about to say, funny thing. I'll say coincidental or surprising thing is that conflict was. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is where Eamon Dean first went to mm-hmm. fight as in a sort of jihad, and you're like, it shows where all these things. This is something that took place in Eastern Europe. Someone's come from Saudi Arabia, and again, how everything geopolitically is all interlinked um, throughout the planet. And, and I then I came, yeah, was... away, I came away from it saying, no fucking wonder Eamon went there. And no, I think he was on the, the righteous side, to be honest, whereas you'd always associate someone from any sort of form of Islamic extremism to be in the wrong. Well, it's, it's yeah, you're right. So Eamon, that was Eamon's first foray into jihad as a 16-year-old coming over to defend, you know, uh, you know, Muslims from, from genocide. And that's what mm. it was. It was genocide. Um, yeah. It's interesting that, isn't it? That how, because of obviously the last decade or two in particular, and, you know, probably really starting at nine 11 and people's consciousness, you know, mm. to be uh, someone fighting for jihad overtly is seen as obviously a, um, Oh, you're a terrorist. Therefore you're evil. Whereas actually it was, you know, seen as quite a righteous thing for a long period of time. And, mm-hmm. and you know, even going back to the stupid pop culture, cultural references, right, of Rambo free the end scene, you know, 
as the Afghans gloriously charge towards the Russian tanks, you know, in the last si- this last scene that, you know, dedicated to the brave fighters of the Mujahideen, right? You know, the the warrior, the, the Muslim warriors, defenders of the faith. And, you, you know, I think they've quietly changed that uh, final scene um, yeah. or final sort of written words on the screen. But um, yeah, it's, it's, there's been a real sea change for that. And um, Bosnia is an interesting one. And in particular, that conflict, because I was similar to you, I could have told you that something horrible happened in Bosnia 30 years ago and that lots of people were killed and that it was Muslims being persecuted. But I feel embarrassed and ashamed that I didn't know more about something yeah. that happened in my lifetime. Um, because it's such an easy thing, isn't it? To be like, well, genocide, that happens over there. That's an African-Asian problem. That's not us. Yeah. We're, we're cultured, civilised Westerners. We don't do that. And actually, you know, this is appalling and, and actually if you look at what's happening there right now unfortunately things are getting worse not better mm. yeah god i've seen seen i think you might have seen the same video that was going around and it was they were all the serbs were standing in the streets with their red flares and mm. singing their song which i think was basically a song about serbian purity of of race or something fucking horrendous because mm. when, when you look at things it's even when you look at um World War Two. It's always in black and white, and when you're learning about it, you're like, it may as well have been in the 1500s because you're like, there is no link to modern day. But when I look back at it, I'm like, right, hold on a fucking minute. So when I was learning about that in school, it had taken place 50 to 60 years previous. Now I listen to music for the 70s, for example, because I'm just a pure weirdo, an old guy. I listen to music for the 70s, watch old films. And I'm like, that's the same amount of time. Between now and those things I'm watching, it's the same amount of time between World War II and when I first learned about it. And you're like, that that ain't that long ago. But then when we look at the, what was, I was about to say conflict, it wasn't conflict, it was just genocide and aggression. When that was taking place, take that, we're in the charts. You know, Disney movies were out. I was alive, I could probably read and write to a small degree. And you're like, that was go- something is going on that you would, yeah, you would say, no, that that takes place in deepest, darkest Africa or, or Asia. And I, I was mortified. Like, as he's, I consider myself to be reasonably intelligent and fairly well informed about global events. And I was like sinking into my chair when Robert was explaining it because I'd done my digging and my research. And was horrified, but when he's telling me stuff, and I'm like, how the fuck do I not know this? And then it got me asking the question, am I completely responsible for not knowing that, or has it just not been covered due to embarrassment or due to the fact that, you know, it was only the Muslims? I say that echoing the the sentiments of the people who should be representing it, not was that my thoughts, just for in case anybody wants to willfully misinterpret what I was saying there. Um, I came away with a lot more questions than than answers i think it's 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 an interesting i think about this a lot as well and i'm a similar boat as you like naturally quite a curious person like to i get sucked into rabbit hole like the other day even when me and you were talking and i sent you that thing about the <laughs> abandoned nazi scottish islands right yeah. like, you know, i love mental shit like that but you know before the internet as we know it you were very much dependent upon other people and um, you know, sort of bona fide mainstream platforms and news sources to give you the information for you to then 
consume. Whereas now, obviously, it's open source. Everyone can look at everything, you know, whether it's verified or not. You know, you can be a mentalist and say COVID is a load of bollocks if you want, right? You know, there's all the ability to do that. Yeah. But I remember I was talking to, and this is quite a few years ago, a guy who was one of the, he's one of the chief, I can't remember what his title is. He's like the chief international correspondent for CNN globally, right? He's, he's, a, he's actually a Scottish bloke as well called Nick Robertson. You should speak to him if you want. He, he'd be good. But he's he's been there for 30, 40 years, whatever. He's been to every single conflict. He's been to every single flashpoint. You know, this is a bloke that's just been in the thick of it. And he was saying to me, I can't figure out the formula and I don't know why it happens, but there are certain news events and certain things that happen throughout history and, and today that resonate with the general public and pe- it just it latches hold and people have an interest in it. And there are certain things that happen and they are no more equally, they're no less tragic or worse or horrible, but just does not get that resonance with the general public. And there isn't, there isn't a three-step formula as to, okay, well, that's going to resonate and that's not. It's just different things do and different mm. things don't. Another very good example without going too much of a tangent is Yemen. Yemen is one of the most outrageous, horrible things that happening there. You know, there is famine happening there on, on a level that has never been seen before. And people just do not give a fuck. And it's incredible because why should people care about Syria and not Yemen? You know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's in theory, you should either care about things like that or you don't. I think yeah. people can only hold so many thoughts in their mind at one time. I get that. But it's strange how some things take off and some things don't, and we can't seem to quantify why that is. Mm. That's a good point, though, you're saying about there are a lot of things going on and we all kind of only have so much headspace. You know, like you always see those fucking pompous and cunty tweets and it's like <laughs> it's like with the stars emoji and it's like Yemen a thread and it's like why is yeah, no yeah, one yeah. talking about this with the point and arrow the point and finger down you're like well you, we fucking are talking about it for some things like we are but like there's only so much fucking headspace we've got to absolute you know how much of a cataclysmic binfire the world is but it is, it is true though and there are some new stories I see as well um, and I'm like, well, even even worse than that is the people that then reply to that and go, "What? So you don't care about Afghanistan?" Then, <laughs> yeah, when I it's know. like, <laughs> I know, like, like fuck fucking off. hell. Here's how you can help, and it's like a link to a fucking GoFundMe. Like, shut the fuck up. Um, I've got a question for you. How pivotal have these words been for you in your life, or how much have these contributed to the way that you? go about your business and therefore how you've gone about your career and speaking to mental people. Life is uncertain. Eat dessert first. <laughs> yeah, that's, I recognize where that's from. Yeah. That's, that's obviously uh, from finally Natasha. That's, that's what my mum wrote on the, on the little blackboard in the kitchen, which we had growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah those they're good words, right? I mean, I think so. Yeah, they, I feel like the, the older I get as well, the more, you know, when you're a little kid, you're like, ha desserts, you know, like but the more <laughs> you kind of think about it as you yeah. get older, it's like, you know, that's a pretty good way to live your life, right? Life is uncertain, you know, mm-hmm. and I kind of take from that is, you know, do what, do what makes you happy, really. Do what you feel is important. Dessert feels important. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, probably I prioritize. I mean, obviously we're speaking about dessert as this um, symbolic thing for enjoying yourself, but I pr- prioritize that perhaps too much. But then 
if I were mm. to be struck down, if I was to die, which is I kind of feel like I might today because I just woke up being like, ah, um, I would be satisfied. I'd be like, I fuck it, you know, I, I enjoyed myself. I prioritised enjoying myself much to the fucking annoyance of like every um, I suppose guiding figure in my life but fuck it um, but she she had written those the, words the down. older I get the more I think I wouldn't mind having that tattoo that said no regrets <laughs> yeah I know I, that's my favourite thing <laughs> every time I try and justify something which I know is completely wrong I'm like yeah no regrets um, yeah so you, your mum had those words written down and you basically created a podcast around her. I will, mm. I will make an absolute meal of, of trying to summarise it. Can you summarise what Finding Natasha is about? And the first thing I will preface that with is people have to listen to this podcast. They, they must listen to it and we are going to talk about why. But how would you describe it? So I have to do a caveat first which is that I did not intentionally look to exploit my mum's trauma for content. <laughs> but I have to get that one in there before people think, God, this bloke's a prick. Uh, but luckily she's very happy with it. So a, a short sort of summary of it is, and I didn't intend for it to be a podcast, actually. I, I We kind of, it ended up becoming one um, because telling colleagues, you know, what I was going to try and do, they were like, oh, that's interesting, you know, this could be something, or at least it could be a little marketing thing for message heard as a business and you, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, okay, we tried it. So, but basically my mom, when she was 17, was told that she could be one of the world's best ballet dancers. And she became, and this is during the Soviet, Soviet Union, right? In 1974, it wasn't a particularly good time. Um, she became the first Westerner to be given a scholarship from the West to dance in Russia in, in Leningrad, what is now St. Petersburg. And she was basically not wanted, shunned, ignored, probably out of fear. And she only made one friend, uh, a sweet 18 year old Russian girl called Natasha. And my mum ended up getting very sick uh, and basically left to die in an isolation ward. No one knew where she was, you know, this is before the internet, before phones, all of that kind of stuff got got down to about six stones. She was basically like a couple of days away from death. And this one Russian girl, this 18-year-old, basically broke into the facility, got my mum out, saved the life, got my mum out of the country. And the last time my mum saw her was 50 years ago on this runway. And she kind of blanked it, you know, sort of repressed it, tried to find her, I think, a little bit, but couldn't, you know, didn't know how, sort of worrying, has she been sent to a gulag? Has she been punished? All this kind of stuff. 50 years go by. I eventually hear the story maybe a couple of years ago, properly when my mum had cancer, sadly, but, but beat it. And I think she kind of wanted to tell her story, felt like it was time mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, get stuff off her chest, told me the story. And I made a sort of mental note of it, right? I was like, well, I'm going to either find this woman or at least find out what happened to her. And that's what the podcast is about. So after mm -hmm. 50 years, can I find the woman who saved my mum's life 50 years ago, you know, half, half a century ago, half a world away, you know, can we, can we reunite if possible, mm. my mum with what she describes as her guardian angel? I mean, where, honestly, where do you even start? Like I listened to all bait in one, in the space of one afternoon and one night, like I listened to it all and the whole, I've, every episode, my jaw kept dropping, right? And with every revelation or every sort of 
oh, there's this thing. I was like, fuck me. Like, you could end it on that. And that is huge <laughs> enough. So, like, I mean, we'll speak first with your grandfather. So the youngest of two. Was it the youngest mm. of two brothers in Hungary? Yeah, young, youngest of two brothers, yeah. So, so as the Nazis are sort of closing in, he's chosen to escape in the kinder transport. Horrified, mm. like, shockingly and sadly, all his family are killed. He then has to sort of make peace with that. Now, the thing about him going up to the Alps for a couple of weeks to ski and to think and to decide whether to end his life mm. or to persevere, that in itself, like, did, did you get to meet your grandfather? Yeah, my, my, my granddad was alive until I was about 12. He's one, it's one of those people where I wish he was alive now because mm. we'd have so much to talk about. Oh, fuck um, me, imagine. Yeah, and he was like always wanted to be a journalist and did mental things like rented a uh, a Volkswagen Beetle to drive across the Sahara Desert and put an advert in the local paper saying, "Does anyone want to split the petrol cost?" <laughs> and this this old this English bloke replied, and they did it together, and they got all these mental photos, and he ended up being my mum's godfather. He did all this mental Fucking stuff, hell. but yeah, I mean, he was he's a Hungarian Jewish refugee, and then it's always you know again a bit tangential, but you know all of the sort of the the sort of uh, chat at the moment about you know people coming to this country on boats refugees well my grandfather came to this country on a boat as a seventeen year old mm. about being able to speak a lick of English named the Stan July you know you know I, I always you know that, that's uh, something for me about judging the inherent worth of someone especially if they're young you know trying to come here escaping mm. prejudices uh, is you know we can learn a lot from history but in in his scenario yeah he, he his whole family died in Auschwitz except for him and he, and he had that choice right which is either end it all and be with his family again or to blank it out and start with a clean slate never to discuss it again and and thankfully he did that because obviously I wouldn't be here talking to you if, if he hadn't but I think that was an unbearable trauma um not just for him because they talk about it in sort of uh psychological terms that actually a lot of the children of genocide survivors also envelop a lot of that trauma because people can't talk about it, you know, mm. talk about emotionally repressed and unopened, right? And that, and that's, I think, had a, a you know, it still probably does, a large effect of my own mum's life. Because mm. she described him as a warm, loving, charismatic man, which is who he was and this, these lovely gifts he obviously had to share with the world, it's who he was sort of innately but also very damaged, which, I mean, you can completely understand. And I suppose, you know, like your mum was told, just don't ask. You mustn't ever ask about this. Yeah. It'll, it'll upset your dad and whatever. And I bet you at that point, probably not as nowhere near as much was known now about what actually had happened. And it is a real shame yeah. because had there been that general education of here's what went on, it might have helped your mum be like, fuck's sake, like this talk about having been through it, but not knowing, sort of being in the dark and wondering why is he a bit shut off or why is he kind of like this? And then that that continuation of that trauma, it's, it's really sad. Um, it got me, I've mentioned mm. this a few times, but have you ever read um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? I haven't. I, re I seriously recommend it. I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure it's one of the really? be best-selling books like of all time. And he basically, all the same happened to all of his family. They all mm. sort of perished, but he managed to escape. I mean, I think he managed to escape by posing as a dead body 
um, as they were being removed, and it's it's horrendous, and you're confronted with the the realities and horrors of of the Holocaust. But he basically uh, he managed to escape, and he became I think he was like a psychiatrist or a psychologist in in Vienna. And the way that he he learned to deal with it and process it, and how he helped also sort of assist clients of his who were struggling with grief and loss because it's something grief's never really spoken about is it you know how you deal with losing no. somebody and there's no you know you've got a blueprint for everything these days here's how you deal with you know if you're struggling with depression or here's here's how you deal with imposter syndrome but it's such a horrifying topic that it's never touched upon but he basically was like um and the way that he dealt with it was he said um how so as they say it was like i think it was a guy who was mourning the loss of his wife and he said how do you if the roles were reversed and your wife was left here on earth without you how do you think she would cope or manage and he's like oh she wouldn't she would crumble she wouldn't be able to do this or that and you know she would just be living in misery and he said well how beautiful a thing is it then that she doesn't have to endure that horrendous sort of suffering that you are and that you're instead taking it in her place and you're shouldering that burden um and i always remember thinking that was a lovely obviously a horrible thing but a really lovely sort of way of, of looking at things um and it's yes yeah, it's, a, it's a, a book i would definitely recommend reading because it is so interlinked with the, the horrors like the holocaust and that sort of loss but how i can't even imagine what your granddad was going through with that because that's just especially a way back then i mean we've only started talking about things from a mental health perspective in like the last five or six years, never mind the last five or six mm. decades. It's, oh God. Well, it's, it's, it's the, so that sounds a great book. I, I, I'm definitely going to get that. The other one that I always like in that is the, is the, the Ellie Vissell one, um, you know, which obviously that became the kind of sort of first, one of the most meaningful sort of documentation of what happened in the Holocaust that people mm. actually consumed. And he always, had that that sort of great sort of like etched in my brain that that's sort of great i don't know if it's not a poem but like a phrase of kind of why he felt needed to talk about it and you know the let us tell tales you heard that no where where he says you know let us tell tales i'm not going to pretend i know this from my heart i've just just got it here on the thing because i was it's interesting but he says let us tell tales let us tell tales all the rest can wait all the rest must wait let us tell tales that is our primary obligation Commentaries will have to come later, lest they replace or becloud what they mean to reveal. Let us tell tales so as to remember how vulnerable man is when faced with overwhelming evil. It is up to the witness to capture it, shape it, transmit it, and keep it as a secret, and then communicate that secret to others. And I think that's such an important thing when it comes to like storytelling of like going back to untold killing and other stuff. It's like if you just tell people the stories and it resonates, that's how you educate, that's how you learn, and hopefully that's how it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that probably true. sounded wanky as no, fuck. No, no. But I do believe in it. So no, no, that- it doesn't at all because that's the thing, though, isn't it? Like you know, that way. Talk the comment there about commentary. I mean, straight off the top of my mm. head, you're like Fox News. They turn news into commentary, and like these fucking cunts just mm. reshape fucking reality, and then the truth becomes distorted by their commentary, and their commentary then becomes fact. And it's, it's, oh, it's, it's so it's Fox it's News, very true. Hell, I mean, they come in various. And then the whole, you see the whole thing the other day about 
you see the whole thing about the other day about how the green M&M was like being desexified. So they're like, like, you know, like M&M to people. And yeah, like, they yeah. were like, the guy was complaining about like how they'd made the green M&M not sexy anymore. So this guy's going on a fucking rant about like how they're taking away his rights to want to fuck the green M&M. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. just, yeah. it's just, it's like me. My- and then I saw this perfect follow-up to it, which I thought was great. And it was like, yeah, the world's gone mad like what's next they're going to take the dick vein away from the snickers bar (laughs) (laughs) that is like surely someone's in his ear like my guy do you realize you're saying you want to shag the eminem yeah like i don't think you understand like the point you're getting across here fuck me um fucking nonce trying to fuck a chocolate sweet i know jesus christ i didn't see that but i'm now going to go and look it up to it's like an intentional psychological self-harm because i know it's going to piss me off but I'm like, I can't, I, I can't help but go and look at it. Um, the next sort of thing that blew my mind. So your mom being the first Westerner to, to mm-hmm. be part of this scholarship, because it was like, how was it shown? Because they, they didn't, the UK didn't have the military might of the US to sort of counteract the spread of communism. So they thought, well, we'll do it through diplomatic um, cultural mm-hmm. influence. So they started doing these exchanges. Now, People hear this, and I think younger people, especially talking about rabbit holes. So the the most recent rabbit hole I've gone down is pre, during, and post Berlin Wall construction. Oh, who's this phoning me? Piss off! Sorry, somebody phoning me. That decline, unknown number. Um, yeah, pre, so that Soviet era or that sort of communist Iron Curtain era. Like I'm fascinated by it. Like I read this amazing book. So amazing. I can't remember if it's tunnel 29 or tunnel 49. Um, oh. if you, have you read it? Or have you? Yeah. The way they did a podcast about it. Yes. As well. They did the podcast. And now it's being turned into a series as well. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 So I, I'll give a series, yeah. uh, for MD because I think people sometimes like my podcast recommendations. I rarely let you down. Go and listen to this. It's either oh, it's tunnel. Wait a minute, I'll just check it. Right, it's tunnel. I think 20, it's twenty nine. I'm pretty tunnel, sure it's twenty yeah. nine. Sure uh, yeah, it's tunnel twenty nine. So it's by a woman called Helena Merriman, and she works for BBC Radio Four. She's absolutely amazing. Actually, we'd love to interview. And the story basically is about the the rise of the Berlin Wall, how it came up, what it meant. But what I get really fascinated by is you've also got the whole story in the bigger picture. But I like this smaller stories so I went down this rabbit hole of what happened in the hours days and weeks after the wall came down and focusing mm. on just people's everyday lives and you're like wow that's actually more fascinating than the story of the sort of wall collapsing um fuck what was my fuck oh yeah so that the point I was going to make so I've got really really fascinated by just general Soviet era stuff and what it was like to live there and it's mind-blowing when you look into it but I think people look at it now because I mean, it came down before I was before both you and I were born, mm. and I'm like, well, that's Russia. You can go to Russia. Anyone can go to Russia. Yeah, okay. So they probably were a bit draconian in their measures, or it was a probably a bit grey and a bit drab. And you're like, no, this was fucking insane. And it was basically like what North Korea is today. Mm. Probably, probably the close, but even even more difficult. You can go to North Korea probably really, really difficult to get into the USSR just as a tourist. And for her to be like that in itself, is it's like a pure Forrest Gump moment. 
yeah, I was one of the first people to be, <laughs> to be allowed into the fucking Soviet Union. You're like, wait, what? Like, that's a fucking book in itself. Yeah, there's, it's, it's, well, my mum's actually been approached about with book deals off the back of it because there's really? so much of it that doesn't, doesn't get into the podcast because we weren't intentionally trying to make a podcast, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to do something nice for my mum and we kind of just constructed something along the way. So like, yeah, I was like, that's another mental story that she only told me afterwards. And I'm like, fuck, why didn't you tell me that before? It would have been great, which is so before she went, they said, look, you've got to learn some Russian because otherwise no one's going to fucking speak any English or no one's mm. going to want to be seen speaking English because they'll be accused of being a spy. So you've got to go learn Russian from some sweet old Russian woman that lives in, you know, Hampstead Heath or whatever, who's, you know, ousted by the Bolsheviks. And so she goes up to this, you know, sweet Russian woman. And it turns out this Russian woman, who is like from high society Russia, was the play, sort of the, the play date, you know, the young child at court that used to play with Princess Anastasia, you know, the one who always, they claimed that survived the killing. And when that woman, I don't know if you remember that German woman, like 30, 40 years ago, claimed, I am Princess Anastasia and I survived. This woman was one of the people that they flew over to, to identify and give comment, you know, give her opinion as to whether whether she thought uh, she was actually Princess Anastasia or, or a fake. And every time my mom says, every time she'd like fuck up the words and like, you know, she didn't really care about trying to learn Russian. Every time she would do it shit, the woman would always go to her, don't worry, you speak more Russian than that fake over there. You know, referring oh, to like, shit. just completely mental. It feels like it's yeah, Forrest Gump elements to like being fucking involved in like all of these seminal moments in history. Bizarre, yeah, yeah. absolutely bizarre. Um, that is fucking nuts. Bit of a tangent, but no, that I'm fucking glad you mentioned that. And the funny thing is, then your mum's understandably at the age of seventeen, sitting talking to this woman who was a play date of this Anastasia, this Russian princess who survived the the massacre. And she's probably sitting thinking, fuck this. Like, I want to just go out, go home and watch some mothers do have them. Oh, yeah. She's like, thinking, I, I couldn't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, yeah, get me out of here. Like, I don't know who you're talking about. Like, it's fucking bullshit. That is absolutely mental. And then the fact that she's gone over there. So when she gets there and they're just like, fuck this. Like, we, we want nothing to do with you. Probably yet through fear. It's like, if you were caught with any foreign currency, you could possibly be executed. Mm. Um, if they just lived in this pure well, state of fear. She- when she when she first got there and she was introduced to the class or whatever, it was unfortunate timing for her because she arrived just after Mikhail Baryshnikov defected. You know, one of the great Russian dancers managed mm-hmm. to escape whilst they were on tour in Canada and you know sort of hide hid out until he was given Canadian states you know citizenship, which obviously was massively embarrassing for Russia and mm-hmm. for the Soviet Union. That's not good because it means that the you know the paranoia, the sensitivity, the sort of fear of the West is even more intensified. Mm. And she says an example that um, when she was in one of her first days and she's still kind of, you know, feeling a bit jubilant and hasn't kind of realized how much she's not wanted or feared is to make a point uh, in front of all of the students all. So it was an earshot. They executed Barishnikov's dogs. They shot them. And my mum was saying, she was saying, well, you know, they can't do that. They can't do that. Like, that's awful. Like, why, why are they doing that? And apparently some Russian girl in her class just, you know, sort of broke English, said to her, you know, lucky not family, right? And like, that gives you a sense of just how fucking mental it was. Yeah. That is fucking nuts, man. She, um, was she quickly, not quickly, but over time, she makes friends with this, this girl, Natasha. And I won't spoil the, the podcast for anyone listening because it's, 
the way it sort of unfolds. But Natasha called herself a dissident, doesn't she? So mm. she already was like, this is fucking bullshit. Like, let us out of here or we don't want to continue living this way. But she she was taking risks that really could have resulted in her being executed. I mean, that's that's not out with the realms of possibility, is it, to suggest that? I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think she 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 took real risks. That's the way I describe it. As to what the punishment would have been for those risks, I don't know. Um, but she put herself in harm's way and at the risk of what could have been very horrible, mm-hmm. serious punishment to help effectively a stranger and someone in need. And like, that's about the purest kind of kindness you can show, right? When you're putting yourself in potential harm to help someone else. Exactly, especially when they're seemingly like, or they're told anyway that you're completely diametrically opposed to this person mm. and these people and they want to harm you and your way of life and they're a threat and we have to keep them out. And the fact that she was, she saw somebody who was was vulnerable and in need of help. And like you think you described her as this has been very stoic and very, very Russian and very much like, don't fucking mm. cry, basically. Like, don't be upset. Like, why? Stop crying. Like, okay, just get on with it. But at this, so it seemed really on the surface, like impenetrable and aloof or cold or distant or whatever it may be. But mm. in actual fact, she was just, just lovely. I, I suppose the, there was two things I took away from it. I mean, the first one, which is pretty obvious, but how like the smallest tiniest bit of kindness even if it's a smile in somebody's direction mm. could transform a person's universe or like save it from from perishing because uh, you know if i heard that story and was like yeah and the, the, the girl just took her life i'd be like fuck's sake like i completely understand why to be honest because you're in a different universe and that's another thing i can't get my head around like when i moved to spain i had facetime skype instagram facebook Twitter, email, phone, and I still found it really difficult. So to be, mm. it would be like going to Mars for, for all the connection you would have back it's, home. It's, it's, it's like the most acute form of loneliness is felt amongst other people, right? Mm, when you're yeah. actually not on your own. That's when real loneliness manifests itself, right? Yeah. And yeah, it's like you said, I think you said earlier, like, you know, it's the butterfly effect, right? A little flap of the wings seems like an you know innocuous thing but it, the, the ramifications of that can be world changing to someone and i think you know mm-hmm. what what this sort of stoic russian woman who's obviously a very kind woman maybe wasn't doing it through the lens of well i'm saving someone's life and making a world difference but actually those little actions had huge knock-on effects of you know but always be kind right like that that's what it mm-hmm. comes down to right kindness costs nothing yeah and you know she's she what a in terms of the the effect that she's had on my family and my mum you know i can't think of a kind of human being yeah it's it's become such a like bastardized commercialized phrase hasn't it be kind mm. when i hear it i when i hear that phrase or i see it anywhere i the, i want to do the opposite I want to be a cunt actually Yeah I I know I'm like Well congratulations You've just made me do The complete fucking opposite Because it's so Fucking disingenuous Isn't it It's 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 Mm. so transparent It just means Fuck all In fact When I see someone say it Nothing makes me more angry 
than when you watch those fucking YouTube videos or Instagram videos of some wanky influencer who's like, here I am giving a homeless person a sandwich and a smile and like this video and share it, Instagram fans. And it's like, you prick. You absolute prick. Because you're doing that for attention rather than with intention. And there is a difference to that. Just fucking do it. It's like when you hear these stories still coming out now, years after his death, what George Michael used to do of like funding kids' hospitals and stuff like that. What a fucking legend. What a fucking legend. He wasn't doing it so people to praise him. He did it because it was the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. I always go on about that, how amazing a guy George Michael was. Like every Christmas, every every Christmas day, I'll kind of kiss both fingers and point them to the sky. I'm like, this one's... (laughs) This one's for you, George. But it's so so true, though. As an Englishman, my St. George's Day, I'm listening to Careless Whisper on (laughs) loop. Fuck everyone else. Oh, man. The world is a shitter place without George Michael. But it is so true, isn't it? And the the moment that you do something in order to broadcast it somewhere or say, look what I've did, I'm like, you completely Mm. uh, uh, and instantly erase all... I don't know, positivity to it. And it's, you know, they say... Dehumanising for the person. You're making them an object. Yeah, I, exactly. It's like, yeah, just smile for the camera while we just video you just on the street because this mm. is this is what you've been reduced to. Um, yeah, but that that entire whole fucking hashtag, BK, fuck off. It started with when Caroline Flack um, died. Oh, and it's like, you're yeah. just like, fuck. And then, then I don't know, you criticise somebody, you see someone receiving justified criticism and balanced measured criticism and it's like yeah so much for be kind and it's like fuck you it doesn't mean you just mm. all conflict just suddenly fucking evaporates yeah I'm, don't worry I'm 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 with you it's, yeah. it makes my blood boil and and I could rant about that for hours yeah. but I won't because <laughs> no one would ever listen to this I know I know I'm having to like met, stop myself and measure myself but to kind of go all the way back it, it shows you like just that what that should be nice to people Try and be as nice as you can. You can't always be nice. Sometimes, sometimes I come away from places and I'm like, fuck, um, interactions. I'm like, fuck, I was fucking horrible there. But, but so you're not always yeah, going to get and, it right. But that's that's introspection, right? It's like if you can recognize that and then moderate and maybe make right, then that's mm. also a positive thing, right? Growth. But. Also, it's like perfectly acceptable to be a prick to some people in, under the right circumstances. Sometimes mm-hmm. if someone's doing horrible things and being a cunt, you're actually, you got you got to tell them. That's yeah. the right course of action. Like stop being a prick. You might want to hear it. Yeah. Or to make myself feel better, sometimes you will be a prick because of what's happening. And you're like, I had an experience. I'm not even going into detail, right? Because I feel fucking ter- I've not stopped thinking about it. It was a wee while ago. I was having a shocking time. And somebody was a fucking, like, somebody said something shit to me, but I went back way fucking harder than was necessary. Mm. I was I was horrible, and I really upset the person, and I've not stopped thinking about it. Even though I'm like, they, let's say they probably deserved or or had asked for, I don't know, the, the verbal equivalent of a clip around the ear, mm. and instead I've shot them in the head. From point blank range, wasn't a wasn't a proportional response. It was the offence there, guys. Yeah, no, yeah. it wasn't. And then I'm like, oh fuck! Like I keep thinking about it. I said sorry and stuff. I was just, I keep thinking about it, and I saw the sort of damage that I did. But I'm kind of now getting to the point of being like, well, do you know what? Sometimes you get it wrong. 
sometimes you can't no, always no. hashtag be kind. No, no one is a saint. People fuck up. But yeah. if, you know, if you're sounding like your therapist now, <laughs> you know, it's like if you've recognized what you did and you feel bad about it and you've taken measures to correct it, then that's that's called being a fucking human being. Right. Yeah. But it's up to go. that person if they want to accept it or not. Like, exactly. So I've done everything you can. I'm now back to being a flawless person, technically, because I've been absolved. Exactly. <laughs> I've been absolved of those sins. Um, but yeah, fi- finding Natasha to come back to what we were talking about. I really, Jesus, I, that was a tangent. I know. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's my fault. Talking about fucking shagging M and M's and how we want to murder people who say <laughs> <laughs> hashtag be kind. Um, but yeah, I would I would encourage anybody or everybody to go and listen to it because you will be blown away once you get to the detail and the way that it's. It's rounded off. Oh God. And I really can't give away this, but you know, the ending when she's like, she realizes something and then she goes, mm. Oh fuck. Right. Okay. So it wasn't what I thought. And that, and that did cause a lifetime of, in some aspects of her life, some pain. And when in reality, she just needed another perspective and she needed a, another sort of realization. Mm. And then it sort of allowed her to move on. And I thought, God, how applicable is that to everybody's lives? But they probably just don't know it. Yeah. It, it, no, look, it, it's a, I'm obviously too close to it. So it's really hard for me to talk about it objectively because mm. it's my mum's story and my family's story and, and a large part of the relationship between me and my mum. But it's also made better, I think, by the fact that like my mum is just a fucking nutter. Like, yeah. you know, ringing her up and, uh, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm chain smoking fags and thinking about throwing myself out the window. You know, that, that's just <laughs> what Debbie's like. Like, she's yeah. completely insane. But she's all, she's pretty authentic, which is Yeah. Oh, you can great. hear that. I, I, did, I love the sort of editorial style of it, where it's not you interviewing her. It's like one of your colleagues mm. and producers, but you're sort of commentating on it. Like from a distance, hearing some, I suppose, new revelations, but also mixed in or interspersed with the knowledge you already have. And it's kind of you're both going through this journey of like mm. realization. It's just brilliant. I've never heard any, I've never heard anything like it. It wasn't a particularly complex um, style, but it just, it was very unique. Um, which, uh, yeah, what, I loved what it. I'm, what I'm most excited about of it is, well, one, it's going through this journey of being turned into a film at the moment, which is, yeah, that is absolutely ins- mental. That is insane. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's not, it's not a done deal. They're like financing it, all the stuff at the moment, which is cool. Um, and I, well, I, I, before I go to say the next, but the first thing is, this is like, again, me and my brain being like, why did I say that? Why did I say that? So you have like, <laughs> a zoom call with like the production company and the director and all that kind of stuff and they're going you know they're they're, they're trying to woo you a little bit you know i don't got a fucking clue right so i'm just there nodding like the churchill dog going, yeah, whatever they say i'll take and they go so jake you know have you had any given any thought as to you know who would play you in the film and like so i'm sitting there you know these faces on zoom i haven't got a clue who these people are and i said as a joke as a fucking joke i just let, sort of lent in and went well, you know, if Brad Pitt's available, <laughs> no one laughed. No oh, one Jesus. fucking laughed. Because they're not sure if you're a prick and you're being serious or not. <laughs> so I like had to then go, of course I'm joking. You know, like <laughs> just the biggest fucking climb down. Yeah, uh, that's um, no, that that's on them if they can't see you having a fucking laugh. Because even I don't know, if David Beckham said, Yeah, Brad Pitt, he's obviously still fucking joking. Like that's just the go-to for the yeah. most gorgeous guy. Exactly. 
Exactly. It's not my fault that I just happened to actually look like him. But <laughs> the second thing, the second thing which I'm really excited about is because of the success of finding Natasha, and this is a scoop. We're not told anyone this before, so this is a scoop for you. Is we're turning it into a series on its own. So it's going to be finding dot dot dot. So we're like, we've managed to do something for my mum. There are so many people out there that want to find people, don't know where to begin and have amazing stories that are relatable and, you know, have depth and warmth and tragedy and jeopardy and all those things. Let's, what we've done for my mum and my family, you know, and this is like, for me, the most inspiring thing that makes me want to jump out of bed every morning and, and make podcasts is like, can we do that for other people? Can we do amazing storytelling that actually has purpose and helps people and we're going to try and do that by turning this into a format, you know, the finding dot, 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 you know, who can we help? Who can we find? Whose lives can we change? And how can we tell amazing stories that will, you know, make people feel good and, and actually have, you know, make positive changes in the world. Like, and to me, that's just such an exciting prospect. And we're in the process of sorting out that second series now mm-hmm. with someone else in their story. And um, it's not signed and sealed or delivered yet. And I, so I won't say names, but there's one particular young guy who, that I think hopefully it will be the story is he he almost tried to kill himself by jumping off a bridge a few years ago and a guy just stopped for an hour and just spoke to him and you know saved his life and he's been trying to find him ever since and it's like if we can wow. find that person and give that person closure mm-hmm. and the guy who was at the center of it he went through this you know acute mental health crisis is now like on top of the world you know like young kid yeah, young family, wife, you know, has a great job, like talks about like mental health in schools and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And like, it feels like the final piece in the jigsaw is, can he find this person? And just, you know, again, like what, what maybe was a small act of just talking to someone as another human being had such ramifications for this person's life, their life continuing and making a great life. You know, mm-hmm. if we can be a small part of bringing them back together, like nothing better than that. In my God, oh God, that would be amazing. So that's a contender for, for the best podcast out of the whole collection that you've got, which is going to be quite some achievement. Um, is that, do you have any other series that are coming up that you're kind of working on that you're able to mention? Not sure legally what I can and can't say in terms of embargoes and all that kind of stuff, but I can give you a flavor for some, some stuff. So we've got a huge true crime miscarriage of justice question mark investigative Mm. podcast coming out. And that's, I, I can't say what it's called or, or what the story is, but I can give you a bit of flavor as to it. It's, it's going to be, it's for Audible. Um, and it's it basically a, a, did they, didn't they do it? Mm. One of the sort of biggest drug busts in sort of British history. Right. And there's a lot of people still in jail and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that actually these people might've been fitted up or, or wrongly imprisoned, right. You know, which has been interesting. It's been over a year of, um, investigation into that and the the host of that show is an amazing journalist and reporter called Raphael Rowe uh, who I've wanted to work with for a long time and he's 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 amazing because he is someone who actually is probably in a pool of one so he as as a young man went to jail for I think it was for 12 years for a murder that he didn't commit Mm. and everyone was like this guy's guilty you know he's never getting out and he basically channeled his sort of indignation into studying journalism studying law to when eventually he was proven innocent, he actually came out and became a you know investigative journalist in his own right. And obviously he is approaching this through the lens of I'm an investigative journalist. And I want to get to the truth, but there's also that personal relatability where it's like, if yeah. you are innocent, I'm about one of the only people in the world that you can relate to. And I think we've got that right degree of warmth between 
what is journalism, but also it's, it's personal affinity for people in situations which most of us couldn't even bear to think about, let alone mm. have gone through. So I'm really excited about that one. And then we've got another one uh, that we're working on at the moment, again, which I'm, I can't go into too much detail, but we're working with smuggling in audio equipment and working with survivors from Assad's um, black site prisons. So people that have been disappeared by the Assad regime in Syria, untold killing ask, right? How can we yeah. tell the stories of you know, these atrocities and, and people allowing to tell their own stories in their own words, which I'm really excited about. And we've got a, se- a second season of Untold Killing coming out as well, because right. there's so much of that story left to tell. So mm-hmm. we're, we're working on that. Um, and then look, there's, uh, look, I could bang on forever and ever and ever, but we've got a lot of exciting and 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 hopefully meaningful stuff coming out as well. Yeah, no, they all sound great. Well, you've got loads coming. I'm glad that you have taken the time to come and sit and tell me about them and answer my questions as well because that's <laughs> when I listen to things I come away with a million even just wee questions just daft ones I'm like I, I want to know the answer to this I want to discuss this sort of reflect on it so it's been it's been great and I'm sure people enjoy so I'll direct people to what's the uh, the message heard Twitter account it's just at message heard right at message heard get on there get it. Yeah. get on there and you'll get them but conflicted is, is a must listen um, untold killing and finding Natasha and people can keep an eye out for the, the ones that are still to come. Mate, always a pleasure. The next... I always, I always love talking to you about mental mental stuff well, I was going, going on s- wild tangents. The, the next one we should do is just each come with a fucking... Me- like that sea <laughs> land thing I was telling you about. Yeah. Um, so we e- each come with something and we just have to read it out and then dissect it. We'll do it next time you catch COVID and you're locked off again. <laughs> Oh, mate, sounds good to me. And I hope you feel Thank better. you for having me. I always appreciate it. No, my pleasure, mate, my pleasure. And thank you for listening. And I'll be back with another episode of Blethered soon. Cheers. Blethered was written, recorded, and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine. And for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series, including Talk Media, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug, and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.